Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Hello and welcome. I'm Ken Rundle and I must begin with an apology because I had promised this podcast would address the handling of grain crop data. But that's for next time because together with Mark Tucker, Yara's head of agronomy, I'm now going to discuss how best to minimize risk this autumn as all kinds of challenges face farming decision makers. Because if it ever was, now is certainly not the time for business as usual. I suppose, Mark, we should begin by identifying those threats and opportunities facing arable farmers. Yeah, Ken, it's um, it's really interesting time, isn't it? It's, I guess I sort of reflect on the fact that 20 years ago when I started um, with Yara, then we were trying to grow wheat at £55 a tonne. Um, and really now we're looking at figures nearer 200. So I think risky is really a, a word that resonates there because suddenly that um, risk of not being successful with that crop has such a high cost related to it so yeah it really is um how things have changed over 20 years i think uh, i guess at the front of the mind there is um, once we've drilled that crop then we really need to commit to it in terms of the efforts to achieve and optimize yields because you know that is fundamental and those first 60 days is where very often it all happens so really putting some mind into thinking about what is going to interfere with that early stages of crop um, growth and establishment, then are going to be fundamental this year. And that sets the foundation for the biomass, which we know is that number one pillar for yield. So getting some thinking around where are the risks, I think, is is fundamental. Because they are much higher than than usual and there's less certainty. And on top of that, there's all kinds of new offers and ideas coming up people are grabbing at anything yeah yeah and it it sort of reminds me of again i did presentations back over the years when i was um, across in eastern europe and there was a real focus then on the risks attached to growing crops and that was very much about thinking then of those risks that you can manage and those that you can't so trying to identify those is really helps them with management decisions. And of course, some of the risks that you initially think you can't really manage, weather is often a classic, which is highlighted, sunshine or rainfall, droughts, etc. We can't manage those. Well, what we can do, of course, is manage how the crop um, manages to, to look after itself in times of stresses like that. So we can effectively mitigate the effects that those volatile um, weather conditions might have. So I think that there are always things that we can think about in terms of how we mitigate the risk. So we might not be in control of the weather, but certainly there are things we can do to manage the crop to make it withstand some of those problems and stresses that it will inevitably sort of face during its life. So are there any any other of these foundational elements of a future strategy? Yeah, I think, I mean, really, when we think about the strategy, then I guess that one of the the areas we're already seeing is that there's an awful lot of products that are being presented to farmers and to agronomists that they are thinking about. And um, I guess the, the issue there is that, we could be introducing risk into the program. So moving away from a tried and tested product that you know has worked into something that's a bit more unknown, 
um, can be starting to manage risks into our program rather than out. So again, it would be a case of um, really thinking about what is the data that's underpinning the product? Um, is it tried and tested? Um, is it the time to be experimenting perhaps if there isn't quite such good data? And I'm thinking here, you know, we've we've got examples that we're picking up where farmers are switching across from nitrates to urea, um, switching away from little and often sulfur, which they've been doing um, where novel sulfur props are coming through. So again, all of those things start to introduce an element of risk in something that perhaps was a success for you in the past. So just a, an air of caution there in terms of how we approach some of those um, products that are being uh, talked about. I know from my past experience with the livestock sector, you know, I can remember times when farmers were buying medicines and drugs from alternative sources and the vets were warning about formulations not being the same and, and all the other risks. I suppose we're talking about this, a similar risk here if, if uh, particular products aren't really tested. Yeah, and over the years, then we've done um, market research and surveys around products. And you know, it is critical to know that a product that you're investing in does actually um, or is actually going to deliver um, what's there. So a formulation term and thinking here, possibly some blends, NPK blends, NPK sulfur blends that might be coming through then really do again it would be a case of urging the farmer to ask the right questions um, deep dive into the detail there of the product so that you're getting what you're paying for um, and some blends you know certainly could well be um, having urea in them rather than nitrate nitrogen so again a very different nitrogen source that's in some of those blends which won't spread as well and certainly will spread very differently to the potash, the phosphate, the sulfur that's in there. So again, sort of starting to introduce marginal risks um, that are there. And I, I guess I sort of come back to thinking that efficiency is a key feature that we want to think about with all products, um, especially in these sort of um, times of high cost of inputs and really maximizing efficiency of them. And if we, if we go back some years, then there was, of course, there was the, the aggregation of marginal gain, which was promoted that we focused on for real sort of uh, world-class performance. Well, the reverse is true in, that, in the sense that we can start to play around with little minor changes, but that aggregation of marginal error then becomes perhaps compounded as we look for shortcuts, introduce perhaps more inefficient products, and therefore, again, introduce risk when you're faced with a high crop price that you really want to optimise um, and take that opportunity if that high value uh, maintains itself. And there's all kinds of other things like spreadability of the product, um, yeah. whether the whether the, you've, you've got your spreader set up for that new product, the way physical characteristics uh, on top of everything else, really. It is, yeah, and it is those. There's on the one hand the physical formulation of the product in terms of what's in it by way of nutrient formulation, if it's a, a micronutrient. Um, but then, of course, there is that you know the the fundamentals. Does it spread well? Because again, and again, we're picking up examples where that sort of ultimate accuracy of a liquid application is being moved across to a urea application, where you're almost going from one extreme to the other. There, where you've been used to a really accurate fine-tuned system of liquid applications 
and then you're switching across to a urea which may have spreadability issues which has certainly a lot of ammonia loss attached to it um, following its application so you're suddenly swinging from one extreme to the other probably again introducing inefficiencies that in a year like this um, aren't necessarily a, a good decision and environmental impacts as well if if you're getting all that uh, you know yes ammonia. yeah when we've got you know clearly as a country as a nation we've got ammonia targets um that are there and yes they're probably off the headline now um but they will come back and as you know more and more products that emit ammonia are used then the ammonia inventory for the uk goes up so achieving those environmental gains that we wanted to in terms of clean air and clean air acts then just become ever more challenging and Basically, what you're looking at is still getting the plant properly established. Um, I was talking with a colleague about oilseed rape recently, and the idea is to get get the uh, stem as strong as possible and a good root structure, which comes back to your point earlier on about being able to for the plant to be resilient in terms of any weather challenges. It is that kind of getting that that establishment going in this in this particular time of year that's important. Yeah, absolutely, and and really the focus area needs to be you know, getting that crop in the ground and away. Some crops, of course, well, oilseed already in and away, starting to come away. Um, some of the early drilled wheats will have gone in and they're starting to emerge. So in some ways, you've got those crops that are already drilled, already starting to emerge, and those are getting to three leaves and beyond. And it's at that point that crop starts to then rely heavily on that soil environment that it's in for its nutrient supply, for aeration, um, etc. So at that point, you're really wanting to, as it transitions from its own reserves through to relying on soil, you want that momentum to keep going. With those crops, you can be applying those early foliar products. Manganese in particular can often come in and stall a crop in its life. Um, so that's for the cereals. But then with the oilseed, you've got as that crop's really putting on root mass, putting on leaf mass, demands for boron a high. Um, demands for calcium high so Brassitrail Pro as a product at three litres a hectare as that crop starts to put on those four true leaves and more then that builds that big thick stem that we talked about in previous podcasts and that then gives that resilience to the larvae as they look to migrate um, into that stem so again yeah bringing all of that in um, critical for those later drilled crops that are going to then they'll they'll be that delayed drill for black grass management and various issues already they will be on the back foot if you like because they're going in later seed beds cooling down hopefully some rain coming along as well to start topping up um, reservoirs so they are immediately are going to if you like be on the back foot so again having in the plan something that addresses and starts that crop to play catch up and there i'm thinking that we've got if we've got the opportunity um, we've got foliar phosphate that we can put into the system and zinc just pre-Christmas which is going to build roots build shoots build that resilience as it goes into the winter um, the zinc will introduce uh, a level of disease control as well to keep that clean crop through the winter and maize boost is a product there we've trialed for a number of years now and getting great results so maize boost at three litres a hectare and if you don't get it on this side of Christmas, it can go straight into a T0 position post-Christmas. And I mean, I've mentioned this with 
discussed this with Natalie recently. It's also important to know what's already in your soil and you're not having to add to because with the dry conditions this year, it's not it not the plants haven't necessarily drawn out everything from the soil that they might have used otherwise. So find out what's there still and that, so that you're adding to, not wasting. Yeah, and classically that sort of analysis, whichever data it is from soil, leaf, grain, are all going to help with those marginal gains because if we just look at that data either historically that you've got on the farm or now taking some samples just to find out what's in there residues left from previous um, crop management versus what's available now and then you can start miss filling those missing gaps and and that will just perhaps again avoid that aggregation of marginal error and actually turn it into an aggregation of marginal gain so that we really do build resilience into yield and achieving that yield um, next harvest. You've already mentioned sulfur, but I suppose it's something many UK soils are always low in and the dry conditions this season must have reduced any atmospheric deposition. Um, yes, as as you know, we've talked about and we've mentioned on numerous occasions, sulfur continues to be there. And we've, again, trials this year have shown the benefits of that sulfur it does underpin that nitrogen use efficiency in the crop. Um, so getting that on, getting it there um, and in an available form when that crop really needs it as it starts to grow away in the spring next year through March, April, May, critical. And I've just done the numbers again just to see what the return on that first nitrogen application is. And, it, and it's very consistent, 32 kilograms of, of grain per kilogram of N with that first 50 kilograms. So making and maximizing the return on investment with that first application. Sulfur will really underpin that response to the nitrogen. So again, let's not introduce risk of either missing out sulfur altogether, which could be something that farmers consider, or indeed trying other products which maybe haven't got that consistency of data behind them and where they've been tried and tested over the years. I suppose we shouldn't ignore the nuclear option, although it's a bit late now, not planting a crop at all, especially in a field that's uh, going to need high maintenance or high inputs. I mean, given the high risks at the moment, there are those things that are happening. And I know certainly some farmers are choosing not to plant particular crops, either because of labour difficulties or marketing issues or all kinds of things. Yeah. And, and those, of course, can, you know, they can be good decisions, you know, and if a farm's got that historic data where it knows that particular areas of the farm are difficult, they're high maintenance, if you like, to try and achieve yields. And of course, those areas are the ones to really think about. But again, I'd say come back to the data and that will help you make that decision rather than just a an irrational decision. Because if you do start to not crop areas, then that concentrates the costs of the farm, of the enterprise onto those crop tech tears. So it has unforeseen perhaps circumstances um, and unexpected consequences rather, which, you know, can uh, mean that you don't perhaps have the financial gain that you might think. So, yeah. And of course, we are farming fields for rotational purposes. So, the decision made for this year's crop can have a knock-on effect to the rotation and jeopardise future plans. So it's really big decisions to make. Um, but again, I'd sort of harken back to using that yield data, cost data, which the farms will have for each field to really understand whether it is a marginal area and therefore something that um, isn't worth cropping. 
Uh, we focused on the period up to Christmas, but as you just alluded to re just recently there, getting off to a good start in the spring is important too, with May and April much drier than they used to be on a you know, fairly regular basis now. How does the strategy work? Again, I'll just point to, um, you know, what does the what does the Met data tell us? And as we sit here, then, of course, we need some, some rain to play catch up, but we can pretty much say with a degree of certainty that March and April are going to be dry. Now, of course, I've said that will probably end up being the worst, wettest on record. But the data would indicate March and April are going to be dry. Again, we know that a crop that has got a big root system, um, a big canopy, is resilient to that. So that's really when we think, right, so what can we do to build roots, to build shoots into that crop? Then it's your first, it's your foliar applications that I mentioned a minute ago in terms of maize boost. Every tiller we can get onto that crop means that wheat crop, it'll put out more roots. So that's building that below ground biomass to build resilience. Of course, that then is also nitrogen management. We know that early nitrogen, higher rates of nitrogen, so 70, 80 kilograms in that first dressing, will set that crop up to get through that March, April time um, when it could be under stress. So I think it really start to focus in on that early crop management to build the foundation for biomass, which then you can promote that biomass development through early nitrogen applications. And that should set the crop up really well to, to um, yeah, exploit whatever weather it's then faced with come um, May, June, July. Well, it's time to sum up. So what points, Mark, are you asking farmers or agronomists to think about? I think there's, uh, again, sort of do it in threes in the sense the first one is clearly to sit down with the agronomist, um, with the farm, sort of team to think about where are the risks and are you introducing them and therefore playing risky management rather than risk management so i think really identify the risks and then think how they can be managed i think use tried and tested products this isn't the year to be experimenting when you've got grain price which is again thankfully on the rise so the value of the crop is going to be huge um, so not the time to be experimenting with uh, non-tried and tested products. And again, commit to the crop. So once you've made that decision, we talked about it a minute ago, cropping or versus not cropping. Once that seed's in the ground starting to emerge, then really commit to that crop and invest in it so that that will give you the best chance of success when it comes through to, to harvest 2023. It's all about risk management in a high-risk environment. Mark Tucker is Yara's Head of Agronomy. Thank you, Mark. In the next podcast, I promise we will take a closer look at analysing the data around grain crops. So join me, Ken Rundle, in about two weeks' time. Speak again then. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.